This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think a lot of it comes down to don't try to boil the ocean from day one. I think that's the biggest mistake I think a lot of companies make. Hey, I'm starting the program this year. I want to make sure I assess and remediate 20,000 suppliers and third parties around the globe year one. And sometimes it sounds great, but, but in practice, it's very difficult to do. So what we recommend is think about where you need to start and where you want to get your program over the next three to five years. That was Brad Hibbert, COO and CSO at Prevalent. In this podcast, he talks about Prevalent's fourth annual third-party risk management report. It's a great summary of Prevalent customers and those who responded to the survey. Gives you a lot of information on current risks and, more importantly, current solutions to those risks. I know you'll enjoy this episode of the award-winning FCPA Compliance Report. It's a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode, and I'm thrilled to have back with me Brad Hibbert. Brad is the president of Prevalent, and more importantly, we're here to talk about Prevalent's third-party risk management study. So, Brad, first of all, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. Brad, this is an annual study done by Prevalent. It provides a lot of great information for the compliance professional, both in terms of what's going on out in the marketplace, at least as you guys see it, But the thing I like about it, one, you get to see what's going on in the marketplace. Two, you can benchmark your program against what others are doing along the lines of best practice, but also maybe gives us a teaser or hint as to what some of the biggest challenges are. So with that, could you tell us what is the report? How do you guys generate it? And maybe even why do you do it? Yeah, sure. So this is the fourth year that we've done the report. So again, my roles, one of my roles is the chief strategy officer. So part of that is working with customers and analysts and partners, making sure that we're building the right solutions. And what the report allows us to do is cast a wider net to really understand the broader challenges that that organizations are are coming across to make sure that we're building a strong foundation to, to help customers overcome those challenges, but also to make sure that we're building a strong foundation and that we're on the forefront of innovation to really handle some of the upcoming challenges and opportunities that we'll get into a little bit more today. So what, maybe start with any surprises that you find or is it almost consistent with what you were hearing from your customers and clients for the past year anyway? Yeah, we've been doing the report for a long time, been in the space for a long time as well. And I think one of the biggest surprises, and again, we can certainly talk about it in a bit more detail, is just the number of respondents that are still relying on spreadsheets and doing this manually. So I think that was probably one of the biggest. I think the other one is the third-party space continues to mature, but the other observation is that the programs in the market itself are still somewhat fragmented. 
So we're seeing lots of companies that are approaching third-party risk management from different teams with different lenses and using multiple different disconnected products to try to manage these risks throughout that that third-party or that vendor lifecycle. And again, we can certainly talk about some of our recommendations from that respect. And I think the last one I'll just mention, we always tell people to try to move beyond the compliance checkbox. So I think the last one is really, there's a pretty significant gap between people that are identifying risks and tracking those risks and those that are remediating, performing the remediation, right? So I think, again, that kind of speaks to the relative immaturity of the market and, and some of the programs that are that, uh, that organizations have in place. They're still trying just to get the assessments under the belt and haven't gotten around to actually really digging into to the risk and remediating those risks with their vendors and supply chain. Let me pick up on point number two, because I see that in my consulting practice as well. Companies, for either legacy reasons, will have disparate systems that really don't talk to each other, but it really leads to a non-integrated approach. And one of the reasons I've always enjoyed talking to you and your team at Prevalent is you guys really talk about an integrated approach to third-party risk management. And you just said a little bit about that in terms of it starts with a risk assessment, but it only starts there. And then from there, you build out a risk management strategy, you implement, monitor, and then upgrade or update through continuous improvement as appropriate. But when you sit down with clients, do you have to have that basic kind of conversation? Hey, guys, this is a business process that requires a process approach, not a disparate, we're going to do a risk assessment, or we're going to put a platform, or we're going to do something else where nothing talks to each other. Yeah, I think when we talk about third-party risk management, as you mentioned, it's not a product, it's a program. And it really has to take in consideration the entire life life cycle from onboarding a third party to offboarding a third party. And throughout that relationship, there's different departments that have a different lens. So they have different uh, job responsibilities. They're interested in different types of risks. They have different workflows and processes that they follow. And so how do you bring all of that together throughout that entire life cycle? And we think unifying that information in a central comprehensive risk profile that the different teams can tap into and share information throughout that journey or relationship is the way to do that. Uh, now, m- most people don't want to, you don't have to start with the entire life cycle, but you got to pick the pieces that are most important to your organization and start there. But you have to have the foresight to look out a few years and understand where do you want to take this program and make sure you're building those foundations today so you're not stumbling in two or three years when you're trying to scale with the quality that you're looking for. Maybe I ought to step back and start with an even more basic question. Do the people who are still using spreadsheets understand that third parties are still seen as the number one risk under anti-corruption laws such as the FCPA? It's still 90% of all enforcement actions involve third parties. Yeah, I think if you take a look at our study this year, I think what you'll find is that 41% of the respondents impacted that they had an impactful third-party data breach in the last 12 months. And that that impact was costs associated with identifying or remediating those risks. And so that's certainly driving a lot of awareness and visibility for these programs and why a lot of people are getting them kicked off. And when you dig into the even a little bit further, what's the top concern that organizations have with third parties? Again, 71% of the respondents indicated that a security breach or security incident due to poor vendor or security practices, is still at the top concern. So I think that they realize that security is the top concern. Of course, compliance is another big driving factor behind this, but security risks are the top concern of many organizations really driving these programs and their growth within, within the marketplace. Brad, can we maybe go through the, the top findings you guys found in this year's report? 
Yeah, sure. So again, the idea for the report is really to provide insights to organizations and they can provide some peer line baselines so they can baseline where they're at with their program to let them know that they're not alone. Other companies are facing these challenges and then to provide actionable insights on what they can do with the challenges that they're facing. I think from a a high level perspective, there's five key findings that we have in the report with a lot of kind of backup detail in the full report. The number one is data breaches continue to be a top concern. As I mentioned before, 41 of the respondents indicated that were indicated that they were impacted by a third-party data breach in the last 12 months and had to perform some remedial activity because of that. And again, if you take a look at the media and some of these high-profile cases, it could be LastPass or OpenSSL or Okta or some of the vulnerabilities in some of the third-party software solutions, it's really driving a lot of visibility to the space. Uh, but 41% which certainly continues to be a pretty high watermark from, from those that are getting impacted by these third-party data breaches. But that's the number one. So data breaches continue to, to be top of mind in driving the programs and driving the visibility. I think the second top concern, again, what's driving and what's, the, what's driving the market? I would say 15 years ago, compliance was the main reason people were doing this, right? You know, if you look at some of the SOX or PCI or some of the original mandates that kind of kicked off this kind of market, That's shifted a little bit. And security now is the top concern. About 71% indicated that security is the top concern driving the program. I think the third one that was interesting is that, and I guess it's because a lot of people when they start these programs, they start with their IT risks or IT vendors, but about 70% reported that there's more involvement from the IT group. And about 71 indicated that InfoSec actually owns the program. And again, I think that's, in a lot of cases, comes down to the fact that these are where the, the programs typically start is with the inf- information security teams validating security controls around their IT vendors. So it makes sense. And I think that increase is also probably due to more people taking this, uh, this third party or the adoption of third party a bit more seriously and trying to put up a more standardized security practice within the organization. So again, from our perspective, we see that the third party risk management is really another security la- layer that people need to embrace, much like patch man- management or perimeter security. So I think that was a pretty, pretty significant uh, finding. As you mentioned, I think the other finding is that 48% of organizations continue to use spreadsheets to, to manage this third-party process. And of course, it's certainly not as, as efficient or as effective as using automated tools, particularly if you have to map it back to the different compliance mandates that are constantly shifting within the ecosystem. Um, the interesting point is the number of people using spreadsheets is actually up about 6% in 2021. And uh, so that was pretty interesting. I think that could be because more people are, or are surveys reaching more people, but I think it's also because if you take a look at the other observation, only about 6% of respondents aren't doing anything about third-party risk management. That's dropped from about 10, that's dropped to, sorry, about 4%. That's dropped from about 10%. So about a 6% drop in the number of people not doing anything. So I think the fact that less people aren't doing anything and the fact that more people are using spreadsheets just tells us that there's a lot of people that are starting their programs and many people that start their programs start with the spreadsheets. So again, I I think that's just a natural kind of maturity as people get their programs uh, going. And then the last, the number five, that the top one that we found was just remediation activity. There's a big gap between those that are performing assessments, identifying risks, and those that are actively remediating those risks across that third-party life cycle. So those are some of the high-level findings, but there's a lot more detail on those, Tom, and the, the more detailed study that you get off the website. Certainly get into any more detail you like on those, though, today. What were some of the key recommendations your team made based upon the findings? Yeah, sure. Again, there's, there's a lot more detail, but I think at a high level, what we're finding is that organizations really have to put a, a 
proactively put a plan in place and understand how they're going to how they're going to remediate or how they're going to respond to incidents if they occur. And so, working with third parties, identifying and mitigating risks before the a company is impacted is the most effective approach to protect the organizations and your customers. But there may be, and there likely will be times after all the hard work and all the risk mitigation that the teams goes under and all the activities that they perform, that a vendor or supplier may be impacted by a third-party data breach resulting in some sort of disclosure or downtime or outages, right? And if that happens, uh, the quicker you can do it or shortening the gap between discovering and mitigating that can reduce costs and really limit the company's risk exposure. And that means you have to be able to automate that, that incident response and have plans in place, right? Or pathways in place if one of those trigger points is, is fired. There's a, there's a few ways to do that, of course. And again, we can talk about it in a lot more detail in, 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 the, in the report, but I'll try to get it in your contracts to make sure that your vendors have to tell you if they're breached. I know sometimes that gets missed, right? So even if they do have an impact or an incident, sometimes they don't reach out. So monitoring third parties, monitoring public websites that have disclosure notifications is good. If you have the capability to to get before the breach, there's a lot of tools out there that, that do cyber monitoring that can give you indicators of compromise to try to get ahead of the breach, right? To understand if there's certain vulnerabilities that you're susceptible to that you can try to close off before a breach happens. These are just a few of the things that that you can uh, that you can put in place to uh, to to try to minimize or minimize the sort of exposure window, if you will. So that's one of the one of the top ones that we have, and that's just a basic thing most organizations should have in place even before they kick off a, a more robust solution. I think the other thing, Tom, and you mentioned it, is have a single source of truth. It's really start to knock down those silos, whether those be technical silos, uh, whether, those, whether those be process silos between the different teams, to really extend that risk visibility across the entire life cycle. So from onboarding to offboarding, and allow your teams to collaborate and really share that information to be more effective in the way that they're handling third-party risk management. So that's another big one that, that I think, and again, we can certainly talk about how to do that. And, and you mentioned some ideas around program and program design. Uh, giving up the spreadsheets, I think a lot of people start with the spreadsheets, which is great, right? It gets you going. It lets you identify the risks. But as you try to grow and scale your program over time, the spreadsheets are just not, it's not the best way to share information, right? It's very static. As I mentioned, a lot of the time when you're creating out of those spreadsheets and you want to map those to different compliance mandates and so on, it's very difficult to do that with a dynamically changing regulatory landscape, right? So try to get some tools in place to help you automate that process. The more you can automate the discovery and it frees your team up to actually doing the important part, which is remediating the risks. And today, I think a lot of teams are really stuck in, in, in just identifying those risks with these manual processes and they don't have enough time to, to remediate the risks. And so I think that ties into my, my, my fourth recommendation, which is really push your teams and really push your organization to move beyond that compliance checkbox to trying to reduce the risks associated with these third parties. And, and I, think that, I think that as you start to grow your program to support these oncoming compliance requirements, and again, as Tom, some of these compliance requirements are pushing teams to move beyond just point-in-time assessments to doing ongoing monitoring, right? So you're going to have more information coming in, more information coming in, more risks being created. The more you can automate that front end, the more you're going to be able to start remediating those particular risks. And that could be actual remediations or, or making sure you have appropriate compensating controls in place. So those are just some of the high-level risks that are recommendations that are covered in the, in the study. Let me go to one of the things I think you touched on, which is having a response team or a response ready should the need come for a response in terms of a breach. Do you find that, and I talked to a lot of data security professionals, you say you absolutely need to prepare and you absolutely need to be to, to whether you have practice runs, whether you have a, a playbook, whatever it might be, that if something happens, 
somebody knows who to call, who to notify, who to get That's together right. in the room. Is that something, is that a message that you find is resonating with your clients that, hey guys, it's not if, but when, and you really need to be ready, almost as a critical response that you would for a physical disaster or some, something along those lines, that they understand the need for a critical response team that you can immediately call into place when you determine a breach has occurred? Yeah, that's right. And I think it goes for the breaches. So that's certainly something that we're seeing. Just ourselves, we do assessments and we do monitoring. We're finding more and more organizations out of the gate when they start their program now are implementing monitoring along with the point in time assessments because they want that continuous, those continuous insights. And they're kicking off workflows that, that don't just cover the data breaches, but other types of events that may happen as well. So it could be it could be things like sanction events. It could be things like ESG violations, those sorts of things. So making sure you understand those different risks and making sure you have the workflow appropriate to the right team <laughs> that, that are responsible for handling those risks. So I think it's important to have those things well-defined in the design and plan, planning stages of your third-party program. You used another phrase I wanted to pick up on for a couple of questions as well. You've talked about scale, scaling up. And I often see a company that may start with a, a small program. And as you suggest, they may have actually started with a spreadsheet. Yet when they think about scaling it through national and even international operations, that's where the thinking really breaks down. How do you help a client yeah. think through, we either through acquisition grew, we either grew organically, or we need to roll this out across literally the globe. How do you help a company think through that process of literally scaling up their program? Yeah, thanks. So I think a lot of it comes down to don't try to boil the ocean from day one. I think that's the biggest mistake I think a lot of companies make. Hey, I'm starting the program this year. I want to make sure I assess and remediate 20,000 suppliers and third parties around the globe year one. And sometimes it sounds like, but but in practice, it's very difficult to do. So what we recommend is think about where you need to start and where you want to get your program over the next three to five years. And then get your vendor supplier lists in order. Sometimes that's the most difficult piece is who are your most critical third parties. So start having those discussions between the different teams to curate your, your, your sort of your, your third party repository, if you will, then profile and tier those third parties. Cause not every third party, not every relationship is the same. So really identify the ones that would be most impactful to your business. And maybe that's 50, maybe that's a hundred, maybe that's a thousand, but whatever that is, those are the ones you want to start with. Then take a look at what resourcing you're going to require internally and what you have available to you to actually not just assess them to get the risks, but to go the next step to remediate those risks. And then just plan how you want to scale it over time. If you can manage 50 this year, start with 50. It's better than doing zero if you can start with more. So we really try to show them how we can get the thing up and running through a pilot phase, work through those workflows that you mentioned earlier as well. So make sure you really lock those down and get those efficient. Make sure you implement automation. So you can have different checks and balances in place and then start to scale once those, those foundational elements are validated and, and proven. So, so again, don't try to boil the ocean, but start doing something. I might actually have to cut that answer out and make it its own podcast. That was as fun an answer I think I've ever heard. <laughs> You've done that before. That was great. Brad, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted more information. We're going to link to the report in the show notes. But where would be the best place or places for them to go? Yeah, look, go to our website, www.prevalent.net. And as you say, we suggest companies come up there, use the data in the report to benchmark their organization and their program, their efforts against their peers. Try to adopt some of the best practice that, that, we, that we outline in the report. We also have a resources page with lots of insights and blogs on different compliance mandates and things that, that are coming up, coming around the bend. Website's a great place to start. 
Well, Brad, I want to thank you, one, for doing this, or prevalent for doing this report. It's always a great resource for a compliance professional. And I'm going to ask you that, or tell you, I look forward to our next conversation as well. Absolutely. Maybe ESG or something around that vein would be great. Okay. Thanks very much. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning FCPA Compliance Report. We have several new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. We have Fox on Podcasting, where I go meta and talk about podcasting. We have Compliance and AI, where I talk about the intersection of compliance and AI. We have From Last to First, the John Assetti story, which is my first biography in the podcast format. Check out all of these where great podcasts are listened to. I hope you will subscribe, rate, and review all of these podcasts. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.